we are in week two of our series called Level Up. And, and in this series, we're trying to draw some comparisons between video game world and, and real life. And uh, how many of you, how many of you ever played Fruit Ninja before? Any Fruit Ninja fans out there? All right, a few of you, the rest of you are liars, but that's fine, I know you played it, right? Fruit Ninja, if you've never played it before, simple, simple game, it's, uh, the premise is real easy. You wanna get the fruit and avoid the bombs, right? It's as simple as that. And, and I think as we're in this series, it's kind of it's symbolic of what, what we're talking about in this series, right? We're trying to avoid, we're trying to figure out how to deal with the bombs in life, the things that, that come out of nowhere, the things that blow up in front of us, things like you just heard in Becky's story. And the, the opposite of that is that we want to learn how to get the fruit, right? We want to learn how to understand and develop the character traits that God wants to develop in us. And it's developed through a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And, and there's a passage that's kind of our theme passage for this entire series. It's in Galatians chapter five, verse 22 and 23. And, and it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then it says, there is no law against these things. I love that last line. Right? There's no law to it. There's, there's no limit to how much love you can receive and how much love you get to display in your life. There, there's no speed limit on patience, right? There, there's no controlling that. You can be as much self-control as, as you want to receive from God and display in your life. There, there's no rules to these things, right? God is giving us these character traits in our lives when we have a relationship with Jesus and, and he wants us to receive them and he wants us to develop them and, and partner with him so that we can become more and more like Christ. In fact, it says this in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14, it says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I love that, right? It says in the Bible that, that, that God's spirit, when we have a relationship with Jesus, that God's spirit comes and lives inside of us, that he takes up residence. We talked about that last week. And, and it's for a couple of reasons. One, it's to prove our relationship with Jesus Christ, but the other is to develop us and to help us become more and more like Christ with our lives. It's, it's so cool that God will never force himself on us, right? That's just not who God is. Instead, he wants to work with us. He wants to partner with us to develop these character traits, his character traits in our lives. Now, some of you may be sitting here, and I totally get it. You go, Donnie, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not sure that I believe in God yet, right? I mean, I've been hanging around Hope maybe for a little while. Maybe this is my very first time. I'm, I'm still checking it out. I'm a little skeptical. I've got some questions. Let me first say, hey, we're glad you're here. Right, it's a great place to come and, and check it out. It's a great place to, to ask those questions and, and to investigate this God of the Bible that, that talks about how much he loves you. But you may be hearing, you may be saying that and going, Donnie, I still have love in my life, right? I don't have a relationship with God, but I, I've got love, right? I've got patience, right? There's times where I have, have joy. I show some self-control. I'm kind at times. Yeah, it's true, right? You can have these character traits in your life without a relationship with God. But here's the hard part with that. Here's the problem with it is that you have to do all of that by yourself, right? In every relationship, you have to generate all of the love if you don't have a relationship with God, right? You're the one that's generating the, the patience. You have to make sure that you are living under self-control all the time. You're the one that, that determines how kind you're going to be to people that aren't kind back to you, right? You have to do that all by yourself. And the problem with that is it's incredibly exhausting, right? It's a tough way to live. 
You'll never be complete in it. You'll never find full satisfaction the way that you do when you're in a relationship with God. Now, let me use this as, as an example. I know last week I was a little hard on Cam Newton, and, and so I want to I wanna make up for that. I want to be nice to him this week. So let me use Cam in, in an example. Imagine I picked up a football and decided today that I was going to be an NFL quarterback, right? And you may look at me and go, okay, so just because I've got a football, just because I make a decision that I want to play football, and, and so can I therefore consider myself as good as Cam Newton? No. Okay. I thought someone was going to say yes there. Yeah, you got, no, I can't, right? I can't. Because here's the reason why. I'm going to do it all in my own strength. Cam has a partnership with a thing called talent that I don't have, right? And so I will never be as good as, as Cam. I can wear everything that Cam wears, right? I can watch all kinds of football and videotape. I can, I can work really hard at it. I can, I can get my dabbing skills down like nobody's business. I can do all of those things, but I will never be as good as Cam Newton because he has a partnership with talent that just isn't happening happening in my life, right? See, that was very nice, wasn't it? That was nice. The only thing that Cam and I would still have in common is that neither one of us have won the Super Bowl. But <laughs> that was close. Uh, all right, so what do we do? What do we do when storms hit in life, right? What do we do when those disappointments happen, when life gets tough? What do, what do we do when relationships go south on us and they begin to, to steal our joy? How do we respond? to circumstances and situations that, that rob us of our peace. I think there's three kind of categories of what I would call joy and, and peace stealers in our lives, right? We all experience these, maybe to different levels and to different degrees. The first one is, is circumstances, right? Circumstances, so quickly circumstances can rob us of our joy and peace. Most of us would confess that when things are going well in our lives, right, we're happy. And, and usually for most of us, we're easy to get along with, right? When things are going well, in our lives. When things stop going well in our lives, everything changes, right? Because our happiness is, is circumstantial. It's based on the circumstances that go on around us. But when you think about it, think about how few things we actually have control of in our lives, right? Very, very few things. We don't have control of the weather, Right? We, we don't have control on how long the line is that we end up in. It's always the longest one, right? We, we don't have control of that. We don't have control over traffic. Does anyone else lose their salvation with the way people drive around here? Is it just, is it just me? Right? I know when I was in California, I had to learn how to become an, an angry and aggressive driver, but it's crazy here. I, most of you, I've noticed, you have your Be The Change bumper sticker on your back bumper. I put mine on my front. Right? And here's why. So that the guy in front of me, when he's going really slow, can see it in his rearview mirror and he can be the change right out of my lane, right? So that I can keep going right on by him. It's hard. We're not in control of very many things in our lives. The person whose who's, who's happiness depends on their circumstances, right, is going to be disappointed a lot because we don't live in an ideal and perfect world. Here's the second joy and, and peace stealer that happens in our lives. It's people, right? It, it's people. We've all had our joy lost because of people in our lives, right? Don't look at him right now. That's rude, right? Don't do that. You can tweet later with like the hashtag joy stealer, but don't just don't do it right now because it's just, it's embarrassing to them, right? But we all have to live with people. We have to work with people. We don't get to isolate ourselves from people around us, right? We have to understand them or at least tolerate them or at least share the same air with them, right? We just, we have to learn how to do that. And I don't think that's what God intended when he created us and he created relationships. I think God intended relationships to be something that bring us incredible joy and incredible peace in our lives. The problem is, is that we do things like comparison, right? Comparison in relationships 
always will rob us of our joy. Conflict that drags out over days and then weeks and sometimes even longer kills our peace. See, we must learn how to, how to accept people, how to live with people, how to deal with people and not allow them to steal our joy and, and steal our peace. Here's the last one. The last joy peace stealer is, is fear. Fear or worry or, or anxiety, maybe, right? Probably the worst thief of all three of these. How many of us have at times, we've had, we've been robbed of our joy and our peace because we spend so much time worrying over things. We're, we're so anxious about things. And the reality is, is that we're anxious and worrying over things that most of the time don't even end up happening in our lives. Right? We know that worry causes all kinds of, 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 it has all kinds of impacts in our lives. Spiritual impacts, it has physical ramifications to it. We know that it leads to, to insomnia and, and ulcers and things like that. We can go to a drugstore and we can buy relief for some of those things, but we can't buy rest. We can't buy peace. We can't buy joy. When those things are stolen from us, it's hard to get those things back. And I know for some of you, you're saying, Tanya, I can't control my anxiety, right? I can't control the, the worry. I, I, I can't determine how often it happens in my life. And I know for some of us sitting here, fear and anxiety and, and worry, it, it has some of us on the verge right now of, of giving up. I want to ask you a question. Is it possible to have joy and peace when we lose our job? Is it possible to have joy and peace when we don't get into the school or the program that we hoped for? When the marriage that we had dreamed of is now turning more into a nightmare? When I can't find my way financially? When I don't know the outcome to a circumstance or a situation? When I lose a child? Can I find joy and peace in that? Here's the great news. It's possible. It's not easy, and I want you to hear me say that right up front. It's not easy, but it is absolutely possible. Wouldn't you want to have, I know we would, we'd all want to have a consistent attitude, a consistent response when those joy stealers come into our lives, that those aren't things that have to impact and affect us anymore. In fact, what if our inner attitudes didn't have to be determined by our outward circumstances? Well, today I want to talk a little bit about that and, and spend some time looking at a passage that we can make that a reality in our lives. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter 4. And if you don't, that's okay. You can follow along uh, on the big screen above. But Philippians chapter 4, let me give you a little bit of background while some of you are, are turning there. Um, this letter was written by a guy named Paul to a church uh, in a place called Philippi, right? So that's, that's where it kind of was. In 356 B.C., Alexander the Great's father, his name was Philip, he actually named this town, okay? So he kind of conquered it, he discovered it, he named it. Um, in 168 BC, the Romans captured it. And then in 42 BC, Mark, Antony, and Octavian defeated the forces of Brutus and Cassius right outside of the city, right? So all kinds of names that we've heard about in history and that we've read about all related to this city where Paul wrote a letter to a church. In fact, when it was written, though, when Paul wrote it, um, before he wrote this letter, he was at one time, he didn't even believe in Jesus. Paul went around and, and he would actually persecute and imprison and kill Christians because of their faith in who Jesus was. Uh, he didn't believe in who Jesus was. And some of you who are sitting here today, you, you maybe don't believe in Jesus either. You might have liked Paul. But everything changed one day when Paul met Jesus. Everything in his life. He exchanged what he thought he knew about God for a relationship with God. 
and everything changed. His beliefs changed, his passions changed, his mission in life changed. In fact, even his name changed from Saul to Paul. And Paul went on and, and his faith in and his relationship with Jesus Christ ended up starting all kinds of churches and writing more than half of our New Testament that we read today. And so we're gonna pick it up. This is a letter from Paul, uh, Philippians chapter four, beginning at verse one, it says this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Now let me stop right here for a second. Because I think what we can see here is, is, is actually joy and peace stealer number one, circumstances, right? Paul writes this as a thank you letter because the, the church had actually helped him out in the time of, of need. His central point in this entire letter is that in Christ, right, in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can experience unity and joy. We can have unity or, or, or shalom or peace, right, and, and joy. These things are possible in a relationship with God. The incredible part of this, though, is that Paul wrote this letter while he was sitting in prison. If anyone had a reason to be discouraged or frustrated or angry at God, right, and say, God, hold on, hold on, hold on, right? I mean, I surrendered my life to you. I have been going around telling everybody about you. People are giving their lives to you. I have made disciples. I'm starting churches. And now I'm sitting here in prison writing letters. How's this fair, God? Like, well, what are you doing here in my life? It's a trap that we can all fall into so easily, can't we? If you've ever been told that following Jesus is easy, I'm so sorry, but you were lied to. Because it's not. Following Jesus is not easy. Yes, there's all kinds of spiritual blessings that come in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We talked about some of these last week. You're forgiven of your sins, right? Your past sin, forgiven. Your present, as you sit here right now, anything that you haven't confessed or you're holding, it's already forgiven. And your future sin, stuff you haven't even done yet, forgiven in a relationship with Jesus Christ. How incredible is that? Right? We discover freedom in a relationship with Jesus. That our old life, our old habits, our old sin, all of that stuff, we, we don't have to let that determine how we live anymore. We are separated from that because of, of who Jesus is. Right? We're, we're free from that old life into a new life that God has called us to. We find purpose in our lives. The reason that God created you, right, to use your shape and your, your gifts, your, pa your passions, your abilities, all of those things, the reason that you were made and we also get to understand that forever we're going to be in a relationship with God. There's all kinds of spiritual blessings that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's also a hard life to live because there are all kinds of ways in which you need to surrender and you need to sacrifice. But I love Paul's choice. I love his response in this letter. He chooses to focus on them, not on his circumstances. Right? There's no pity party for Paul here. He says how much he loves them, the joy that they bring to him. And he continues to invest in their growth by writing this letter to them from his prison cell. You see, Paul's inner attitude wasn't determined by his outward circumstances. Let's pick it up in verse two. It says this. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Joy and peace stealer number two, isn't it? People. There's two women that are in some kind of disagreement. And in fact, if you unpack the Greek, what you'll discover is what they're arguing over is the bachelor. That's what they're, that's what they're fighting about, is, is who's the better bachelor. And uh, don't tweet that, because I'm not 100% sure that my, my Greek's right in that. But, um, 
right? But there is some kind of disagreement and how easy would it have been for Paul to have taken sides here, right? Or, or begin the gossip train or just to, again, even feel sorry for himself. I bet you Peter isn't dealing with this kind of stuff in his church, right? James people probably aren't arguing the way that my people are arguing. But that's not how Paul chooses to respond. He's confident that they can work it out. He's positive. He encourages them. Again, his inner attitude isn't determined by these outward circumstances. And then we hit verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul makes a command here. In fact, in, in these next couple of verses, there's gonna be two commands that Paul makes. This is the first of those commands. In fact, this is so important to Paul that he repeats it. Right? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I wanna make sure that you don't miss this because this is so incredibly important. I'm gonna say it again. Rejoice. It's not a suggestion, right? There, there's nothing optional here. Paul doesn't say, hey, I want you to try really, really hard at this. He simply says, rejoice in the Lord always. You, you need to do this. In fact, so important, I'm repeating myself. I love how the message translation puts it. It says, celebrate God all day, every day. Right? Celebrate God all day, every day. If I'm celebrating God all day, every day, there's, there's no day, days off, right? There's, there's no times where I get to take a break from that and, and do whatever I want. We're called to celebrate God all day, every day, with everything that's going on in our lives, that we are always to have joy. And it's to show through our, our gentleness and the way that we treat others. Now, some of you, as you read this passage right here, you get stuck on the word always. And that is a word that should probably catch most of our attention. Always? always have joy, right? Because I can think of a dozen scenarios and situations right now where, where I'm not sure that I would have joy, that joy wouldn't be my, my first response, right? Circumstances like, like physical or, or mental limitations and illnesses. God, you want me to rejoice for those things? How about when I lose my job? Joy? Is, is that really what you want, God? My spouse and I are, are on the verge of separation. Should I be celebrating that? My child is, is making decisions that, that are going to destroy their life. You want me to, to rejoice? I think he's cheating on me. And no matter how hard I try, I just can't win in my relationship with my boss. You, you want me to have joy about that? Even in our fears, right, that, that one of those candidates is going to become our next president. <laughs> rejoice, <laughs> right? Like, oh, does God really want me to be joyful for these things? Here's the answer to that. No, he doesn't want you to be joyful for those things. But he does want you to be joyful in those things. Let me explain. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It, it doesn't say in there that we have to be joyful for the situation. It's okay to not like the circumstance that you're in because it's messy and it hurts. It's all right to not like it. But it does say that we need to be joyful in the situation because it's a chance for us to grow. You see, the key to choosing joy in every situation is this. It's, it's the subject of Paul's command. 
Paul says rejoice always, right? This is so important. I'm going to say it again, rejoice. But, but who is it that Paul tells us to rejoice in? What is the source of our joy? He says rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again, rejoice. You see, God is the source of our joy. Sports aren't the source of our joy. My job isn't the source of my joy. That, that party isn't the source of my joy. A sexual relationship isn't the source of my joy. God is the only source of our joy. So important to understand this. This isn't just happiness based on, on circumstances that go on in our lives, right? This is a choice because of the character and track record of God. See, if God is who, who I believe God is, right, if he is the creator of all things, he is the sustainer of all things, he is holy and perfect and just, he, he is in control of everything. And, and what we talked about last week, if God truly loves me the way that it says that he does it, he sacrificed everything for me. If that's who God is, then that is why and that is the where that I find my joy. I, I love, there's a, a little story it's one verse, two sentences long that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13. And it's always been one of my favorite. It says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. I love this little story. Right? And you can imagine whoever the, the character is in this. Maybe it's a 17-year-old that's taking a shortcut on his way home from Jerusalem High. Or, or maybe it's a, a businessman that's out for a walk or a successful, um, a hardworking teacher, a stay-at-home parent, uh, whatever it is. Right? But th this person is walking through this field and, and all of a sudden they trip over something. Right? And you know what happens when you trip over something? There's always two reactions, one of two reactions. The first is, is that you look around immediately right, to see if anybody saw it. Right? That's what you do. I actually tripped this week in the office. I was walking with someone, with Julie and I were talking, and I just tripped over my own feet, ran into a wall, and immediately right, I'm looking around to see, did anybody notice what went on? That's the, that's the first reaction. The second, maybe some of you guys do this, right? when you trip, you kind of turn into that slow jog. Right? You ever done that? You're like, oh, just getting my cardio up, just checking my pulse, no big deal. right? right? And then what do you do? Then you look around to see if anybody anybody notice that, that you tripped, right? And, and so this guy is tripped over something and, and it says that he looks down and, and he sees something there in the ground. And, and in my mind, it, it's kind of like this treasure chest, right? And he gets down on his hands and knees and he, he uncovers the rest of it and he opens the top and he discovers the greatest treasure he has ever seen in his life. Far greater than anything he has going on in his life, far greater than anything he could ever hope to accomplish what does it say? He, he probably looked around again, right? To see if anyone else noticed. Did anyone else see what I, what I discovered? And then it says that he, he closes the lid back up and, and he covers it back over. And that he goes and he sells everything that he has. There's no hesitation, no second thought to it, right? Because everything that he has, none of that compares to the treasure that he found in this field. And it says he goes and sells everything and he takes that money and he buys the field and with the field comes the treasure. So the point of the story is this, is that the treasure is greater than everything else in our lives. When we value Jesus the way that we should, when we recognize him for the treasure in our lives that he is, we can only come to the conclusion that nothing else should compare to that. There's nothing else that, that, that's imaginable that, that compares to who Jesus is. And because of that treasure, we can always, always choose joy. Our accomplishments, as great as they might be, they don't compare to that treasure. 
right? Our, our relationships, as great as they might be, they don't compare to that treasure. Our circumstances, as great as they may be, they don't compare to the treasure that we've found in him. Everything pales in comparison to him. In fact, this is the reason, I think, why we sin, right? Any sin, every sin, when it happens in our lives, is because, because we've lost sight of the joy of our salvation. We've lost sight of the, the treasure that Jesus is. Anytime we sin, for that moment, we've decided that something else is more valuable than Jesus. But what Jesus tells us in this story is that the treasure of him is, is greater than anything else that we could ever achieve or discover or find or accomplish in our lives. There's nothing that compares. That means joy is always an option for us if we're willing to sell everything and to buy into this. You see, we have the choice to make joy present in our lives because of who Jesus is and because he's what, of what he's done for us. With anything else takes a precedent in our life, when anything else becomes more important in our life, what happens is that we tend to then try and manufacture our own joy. And the problem with that is, is that it doesn't last. It doesn't work. It's never satisfying enough. It's only when we find our happiness or our joy in the person of Jesus Christ as our greatest reward that will truly experience joy in our lives. So here's a couple of questions that I had to ask myself this week and I wanna ask you. Does that describe your relationship with Jesus? How valuable is he to you? Let's pick it up in, in verse six. It says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Here's joy, peace stealer number three, right? Worry, fear, anxiety. And in spite of all of his difficulties, everything that Paul is dealing with while he's sitting in prison, he refuses to worry, he refuses to be anxious, and he calls us to do the exact same. Command number two, right? Don't be anxious about anything. Now let's be real, that, it doesn't even sound possible. But I love that Paul doesn't just say, hey, don't be anxious, and then kind of continues on. He actually gives us a solution to this, a solution for every single situation in our lives, and it's, it's this, it's pray. When you feel anxious, when you feel worried, when you're afraid of something, Paul says, pray, right? And specifically do two things. The first is this, is tell God what's happening. Tell God what you're feeling. Tell God what it is that you need. Not because God doesn't know. It's not that he doesn't know what you need. It's not that he doesn't know what you're feeling. It's not that God doesn't care about things, those things. It's just that he wants you to invite him into your situation. He wants you to ask him to join you so that you don't have to worry and that you don't have to be anxious, that you don't have to be afraid. He wants you to invite him into that. The second thing that he tells us to do is to be thankful. Because when we're thankful, that does two things in our lives. The first is it, it puts the focus back on God. It, it takes the focus off of the, the situation, the circumstance, the person, whatever it is that's causing us to have anxiety or causing us to, to worry or causing us to be afraid and to put it back on God. And the other thing that, that being thankful does is that it reminds us of God's faithfulness. God, how many times have you shown up in my life time and time again? And I keep running into these storms and I keep running into these difficult circumstances, but God, every single time you show up. And so I'm gonna trust that you're gonna show up again in this. So the result of that is when we're reminded that God is always with us and that he always provides for us, when we put him first and put our trust in him, then, then we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to worry about things in our lives. And here's the last verse. In verse seven, it says this. And the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, this is the result. When we trust God and when we put him first, when we, we discover the treasure that he is and, and put our trust in him completely, then we discover peace in our lives. Peace that can't be created, right? It's not something that, that's a, a human-driven thing. In fact, it says that, that, that we can't even understand this peace. You ever met somebody like that? In the midst of, of a crazy trial, a, a brutal circumstance? Someone like Becky, right, that, that has peace in that? It's a result of, of trusting in Jesus. And it's not just peace to cover your past anxiety. I love what it says is that it will guard your heart and your mind, right? Which means that as you head into future fears and worries and anxieties, that when you trust God, that the peace that he provides as a result will guard us and protect us as we head into those things. Jesus shared a story in, uh, in Mark chapter four. And uh, I, love, I love this story. Verse 35, it says this. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, storms come up in our lives, whether we like it or not. They terrify us, they, they knock us around. They threaten to destroy our, our stability and our security. We don't know how long they will last. And sometimes in the middle of, of some of the storms that we face, we're not even sure that we're going to survive them. But for Jesus, I love this. It's a, it's a chance to grab a nap, right? He's in a boat with experienced fishermen, and they're panicking. They recognize this isn't just a storm. This is a serious, serious storm. And the water's coming in and they're going down and they freak out and they look over and what's Jesus doing? He, he's sleeping with his head on a cushion. And they wake him up and Jesus does what Jesus does. He, he quiets the storm and then he has a, a little side conversation with his disciples. Some of the lessons in this story are, are obvious, right? That Jesus has the power over storms in life. That, that Jesus experiences storms right alongside of us. That, that Jesus saves us from them and he wants us to trust him more. But, but there's one lesson that, that in this story that maybe isn't quite as obvious that I want us to hear today, and it's this. Storms don't worry Jesus. He, he's right there with them and perfectly calm. In fact, he's, he's so calm that He's asleep. He's not terrified. He's not impatient. He, he's not worried, right? I, I know that sometimes when storms blow up in my life, I, I, wonder, I wonder why God isn't doing something. Sometimes I, I wonder, do, do you even know how much trouble I'm in, right? It's easy for us to wonder if God cares or, or maybe even get to the extreme of, I'm not sure God can even do anything about this. Like the disciples, we typically, we believe that, that he's there, the luxury they had is that they could actually see him right in front of them. We don't get that luxury. And sometimes in the storms that, that we face, it feels like Jesus is just as asleep in, in our lives as he was in, in this boat in the, in the storm in the Sea of Galilee. The not so obvious lesson in this is that Jesus was just as much in control and the disciples were just as safe 
when Jesus was asleep as while he was awake. See, most of the time in, in, in our lives, when those storms roll in, and they just feel like they do, right? It's just kind of storm, and then you'll get a little bit of a calm season, and then a, another storm, sometimes back-to-back storms, sometimes storms layer on top of each other. And it's real easy for us to lose our joy, and it's real easy for us to lose our peace. But I'm learning through this where and how to have peace, that, that Jesus isn't scared. Jesus isn't absent in those things. He might be asleep. He might not be asleep but he's absolutely in control. And when I put my trust in Jesus, I can have the same peace that he had in the middle of that storm relying on his father. So what do we do with this? Let me give you three things real quick as as we wrap this up. Three things to do this week starts today, starts tomorrow in your life. Here's the first one is, is just trust God with your life. Right, that you put your complete trust in him. And as I was writing this, the, the thought that came to mind for me with this is, um, is the old television show 24. Did anybody remember 24? Jack Bauer, right? The counter-terrorist agent. Oh my goodness, right? Greatest show that's probably ever been on TV, right? If you've never seen it before, let me give you the, press, the, 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 the premise of it. Um, the entire season was one 24-hour day and it was broken down into one-hour um, segments that were on TV every single day. And, and, and in the course of 24 hours, right, Jack would save the world like four times, right? It was, it was absolutely amazing. And every episode ended with this crazy cliffhanger. And so we started late in it, Laura and I, in, in terms of watching it, some friends told us about this. And, and so we got some DVDs um, from some people. And so we started watching and, and trying to catch up. And so we're watching the DVDs, right? And at the end of every hour with the, the cliffhanger, you're like, we got to watch the next one, right? And so we would just put in the next DVD. And so literally we would spend 24 hours just at home watching this show, right? Straight through, because it was, it was unbelievable. And so we're watching this show. And I remember one of the episodes, um, these terrorists, they kidnapped the Secretary of Defense and, and his daughter, who just so happens to be Jack's girlfriend. And nobody knows where they are, right? They're, they're, they're hiding somewhere and they're, they, they tap in there. They're now on public TV and they're about to execute the Secretary of Defense and his daughter on national TV. And, and, and all of a sudden, Jack finds them. I knew he would, right? It was so exciting. And then Jack gets there and he calls for backup. He's like, I found where they are. I need you to send backup. And they're like, Jack, we can't be there for like five minutes. And Jack's like, we don't have five minutes, right? And he's just like, oh, this is amazing. He's like, I'm going in by myself. And I'm like, no, Jack, you can't, right? Because I've seen how many guys are on the other side of that door. I'm like, Jack, you can't go in by yourself. There's too many of them. And my stress is up and my heart rate is pounding. And then all of a sudden I realize this is only season two, <laughs> right? Most people are watching like season three and I think he just signed a, like a three-year contract for like three more seasons. I'm like, Jack's gonna be fine, <laughs> right? I can still enjoy the show, but I don't need to be stressed about this because I know what's gonna happen. Yeah, there's 20 of them. Take them on, Jack, you're totally fine. And that's what I mean by trusting God with our life. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know the outcome. You know what's going to happen. We win in the end, right? So you don't need to be worried in the circumstances and storms of life. You can put your trust completely in him because you already know that we win. Here's the second thing. Joy is a choice. It's a choice. When we value Jesus the way we should, when we value the treasure that he is, then we have the chance to choose joy. And here's my challenge to you. Would you take a morning challenge just for this week? Try it for one week and see if it makes a difference in your life. 
Every morning when you get up, it, you, I want you to choose joy. And, and I think it's super important to choose it in the morning because if you're anything like me, when you wake up, the morning is not the most joyful time in my day, right? It, it's just not. Some of you wake up and you're like, good morning, God. I don't like you, right? <laughs> Most of us wake up and we're like, good God, it's morning, right? You're just like, this is unbelievable. And we hit our alarms and then we hit the wall with our alarms, right? And it, and it's just, it just starts in a terrible way. Here's what I want you to do. Every morning this week, for one week, will you wake up and just commit yourself to God and say, God, today I'm going to choose joy. I know I'm not in control of all the circumstances, right? I know that stuff's going to happen at work or stuff's going to happen at home. I know that. I'm not in control of those things. I can't control the traffic. I get it. But God, I'm going to choose joy today. Right? I know there's going to be people that I have to interact with, family members or, or coworkers or, or neighbors. Or, I, I know that. I, I know there's going to be some stressful, some stressful conversations today. God, I'm going to choose joy in that. I know there's some things that I'm worried about. There's some anxiety. There's some fears. But God, I'm, I'm not going to focus on those things today. Today, I'm going to choose joy. Try it for a week and see if it helps. And here's the last one. Because when we choose joy, when we trust in God, when, when joy is a choice, then peace is a result in our lives. Peace is always the result of, of dependence and obedience and trust in God. When, when, when Jesus is at the center and we treasure him the way that we should, then we can always choose joy no matter what's going on in our lives. And then the result of that trust is always peace. Not our peace, not stuff that we have to generate on our own, but peace that comes from God through a relationship with his son Jesus, through his Holy Spirit that he develops in our life, character traits like joy and peace, like love that we talked about last week. Imagine what that would look like in your life. Imagine if, if your, your inner attitudes didn't have to be determined by your outward circumstances this week. Would you want that? Well, no matter what you face, that you always were, were able to be joyful and, and at peace, no matter what the circumstance or the storm or the situation that hit. I think you do. I do. I think people around us would want that. So what if we became a church this week that we began to live that out? We allow God to develop that in us and we partner with him. And as a result, we impact the lives of, of the people around us and we let them see that. Next week, we're gonna continue on. Mike is gonna be back and, and he's gonna talk about uh, how we become more patient, but you have to wait for that. <laughs> it was so obvious, I, I just had to go there. All right, let's pray, let's pray. God, I, uh, I thank you so much for your incredible grace in our lives. God, thank you for choosing to love us. We know, we talked about this last week, we don't deserve it, we can't earn it, and yet it's, it's your incredible love that draws us to you. God, I thank you that when we put our trust in you, your spirit develops in us joy and peace. And Father, I pray this week that no matter what storm we face, no matter what circumstance, no matter what thing that tries to rob or, or steal our joy or our peace away, God, will you help us to do two things? One, to treasure you more than anything else in our lives. Because when we do that, we can choose joy. And then, God, to trust you with everything. Father, that when we trust you, then we know that the result of that is, is peace. So God, help us to live that out this week in every circumstance, in every relationship, in every area of our lives. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.